All right, Hebrews chapter 12. We ready to go? I'll tell you, this is the first time I've ever preached a message with a bandana on my head and in sweatpants. I'll tell you that right there. We're going to talk about the Christian race today. And uh, the theme of the message today is looking to Jesus here in Hebrews chapter number 12. Now, I'll tell you, there's ulterior motives I have for dressing like this today. Earlier in the year when we weren't able to have church services, we had um, certain ladies in our church decide to come to church in their pajamas because that's what they'd been doing the whole time we weren't having church. And so I felt left out. And so I figured I had one more Sunday in the year to get it done. And so here I am. No, I'm just kidding with you. But we're going to talk about the Christian race this morning. And if nothing else, you'll pay attention because I'm dressed like this. I don't know if I look like a runner or a biker. I haven't decided yet, but uh, there you go. And so Hebrews chapter number 12 is where we're going to be at in the scriptures. You know, 2020 has been a very difficult year uh, in many ways for many of us. In fact, I don't think there is really probably one person in this room that hasn't been negatively impacted in some way by the circumstances that have taken place this year. And because of that, it makes it really hard to plan ahead uh, for next year. Because uh, as we think about the coming year, 2021, there's still a lot of unknowns. Uh, For example, who's going to be our president? Uh, Seems like we're still trying to figure that one out. And uh, some say, well, it's it's certainly going to be this one. Other people say, well, I don't know if it's going to be that one. And we're still trying to figure that one out. Um, Here's another one. Uh, When are all the quarantines and closures going to stop? Are they ever going to stop? Uh, Before you make plans for next year, you certainly want to know that you're going to be able to go and do things. And and there's still a question mark on a lot of these things. Um, I've had a lot of people ask this question, are things going to get back to normal in 2021? And these are the kind of questions we've been asking um, as, we're, as we're getting ready to plan. And I'm a planner. I usually have the whole year planned out by the time I get to like late November, early December. But I tell you, this, this year has been hard. And uh, I, there's a lot of things that I normally have planned out that, that I don't. And a lot of it has to do with all of these unknowns that are taking place in our society today. And you know, when you look at the circumstances that are happening in our world, it sure doesn't give you much hope, does it? And uh, the fact is, if that's where you're looking, uh, if you're looking to make your plans, to set your goals based on the ever-shifting circumstances that are happening in our world, you're going to find it to be a flimsy foundation to build your life on. But in Hebrews chapter 12, the word of God gives us what I believe to be is a much more sure foundation. The word of God gives us a target to look towards that will never lead us in the wrong direction, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's read about it. Hebrews 12, verse number 1. If you're with me, say amen. I'm going to take this off because it's hot, okay? And uh, there you go. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Read the first phrase of verse number two with me out loud. Ready? Begin. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As we prepare to undertake a new year of life, we need this challenge from the word of God to encourage us and to equip us and really to get our focus back where it needs to be. I believe so many of us have allowed the circumstances of this year to rob our focus from where it should be. All the while, 
We as children of faith, as the people of God who are running a race of faith towards the Lord Jesus, the one we're supposed to have our focus on is Jesus Christ. And that's the challenge we receive from this passage of scripture here in Hebrews chapter number 12. And so from Hebrews 12, I want to show you how you can set a straight course for your life this year by looking to Jesus. And I don't know where you're at today, what your plans are for the future, but I'm going to tell you that if you'll listen to what the scripture has to say to us in Hebrews 12, it will impact your next year in a significant way. And so let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to our hearts from his word here, and we'll dig into what the scripture has for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be gathered in this place, and I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts in a way that only you can. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd set aside all distractions and all things in our minds and our hearts that would cause us not to be able to focus in on the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, open up our understanding to the scripture and I pray that you'd speak to us in a very real way today. I pray, God, that this challenge would ring true um, in every heart this, in this room. And for those in particular who don't know you as Savior, who are running a different, a much different race than a Christian race, I pray, Lord, you'd get them started on the right track today. And for those who know you, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to grow in our following you and pursuing you as we live this life. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd work in a way that I cannot and I still need your help, Lord. I still need you to do the work and do the, do the speaking. And I pray you do that today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, we've been studying the book of Hebrews verse by verse for uh, almost, almost two years now. And uh, we're finally making our way to the end. It's only taken me two years to get through 13 chapters. And so that's not bad, I don't think. But um, I'm glad uh, that we are coming to this point in the book of Hebrews because this This book, it was a letter that was written to the Hebrew believers of the New Testament time period. And uh, already these believers had been brought a long way through the contents of what was written in this letter to them. And uh, they had uh, first and and foremost been taught in the first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews that Jesus is better. He's so much better than anything else that they had ever known before. He was better than the Old Testament system. He's better than that Old Testament system with its endless sacrifices, with its flawed ministers, um, and and, and with its limited access that it it provided to God. Jesus was so much better because he gave a once-for-all sacrifice that forever sanctifies those of us who believe in him. It's so much better because Jesus is now our great high priest who doesn't give us limited access to God, but unlimited access to God. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. And over and over again to the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, we're reminded of just how much better Jesus's ministry is on our behalf as the people of God. And, and so then the questions asked, why, why would you want to go back to what you had before when you have Jesus and what Jesus has done for us is so much better? In Hebrews chapter 6 and in other places throughout the book, he further gives a challenge. He tells these Jewish believers to go on in their newfound faith in Christ. Instead of going back to the the Old Testament system and trying to obtain salvation by works, he said, let's accept that Jesus has finished the work and let's go on in our newfound faith in Christ. And by the way, that's a good thing for us to to understand as well. Um, We don't don't have to uh, uh, do good works to be able to obtain salvation. We can trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ to receive the full and free salvation that only he can give to us. And so he challenges them to go on And he challenges us to go on in our faith, not try to go back to some old system. 
And then he comes to Hebrews chapter 11. And in chapter 11, in challenging these believers to go on living by faith, he shows them how. Uh, the writer of Hebrews. In the, the, the Hebrews chapter 11, we know it as the hall of faith. It's the chapter of scripture where he goes throughout all the Old Testament Hebrew history and talks about all these people who lived their life by faith, who were examples to these believers and how they could live their life by faith too. And after all of what we've studied so far, we come back to Hebrews chapter 12. And now in Hebrews chapter 12, the whole focus of the epistle pivots on the believers themselves. And what is essentially happening here is the, uh, the, the writer under inspiration looks at these believers and says, I've showed you why you can live by faith because of the finished work of Jesus. I've showed you other people who have lived by faith who have gone before you. And now what are you going to do? Are you going to choose to live your life by the same faith that is made possible for you by Jesus, by the same faith those who have come before you have lived by? Are you gonna choose to live your life running this race of faith? That's the same question and application that's relevant for you and I today because we have been put on this earth by God and the, what, the reason we've been put on this earth is so that you and I would come to faith in Jesus Christ and run the race of faith that he has set before us. And it's a wonderful privilege that we have to be able to do this. Now, just so we're clear, the Christian life is what is being compared to running a race here in this passage of Scripture. And uh, uh, we as believers, the life that we're given to live is, 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 is like a, a race, and we're running to the finish line. We're running towards the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture that's given to us here in the Scripture. Let me just go ahead and ask this question. How many of you are runners in here today? You, running is your preferred form of exercise. Okay, we have one. Wow, good job. I'm with you. I like to run too. All right, how many of you used to be runners when you could run? Oh, there you are. Okay, all right, great. <laughs> and uh, uh, if you've run for any measure of time, you know it takes a little bit of preparation if you're going to do it right, and you're going to be able to do it uh, for any length of time. And in the same, in the same sense, if you want to run the race of life well, the race of faith well, uh, there are some particular things you need to prepare for and focus on if you're going to do so well. And so I want to give you this morning four truths to consider if you're going to run the race of faith well. And here's the first truth I want you to consider. First of all, you need to consider the crowd above you. You need to consider the crowd above you. Look at verse 1 of Hebrews 12. And if you're still with me, say amen. All right. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Here he begins to talk about this crowd that's above us, this great cloud of witnesses. Now, no doubt, when we get up to heaven one day, I believe the Apostle Paul is the one who wrote the book of Hebrews. And here's one of the reasons. You read most of the epistles that Paul wrote, he often talks about sports in them. And I believe when we get up to heaven, we're going to find out that the Apostle Paul was a guy who loved sports. All right? We've got a lot of sports-loving people in here, and I think Paul was one of them too. And we can relate a lot to sports. And the Apostle Paul is talking here about, he's relating the Christian, uh, the Christian life, a Christian living their life by faith, and comparing it to the old, ancient uh, Roman and Grecian Olympic games that they used to participate in at that point in history. And many of you know for those games, in, in, the, in both the Grecian Empire and the Roman Empire, they would build these big, elaborate, uh, elaborate amphitheaters. Have any of you been to any of those amphitheaters over towards Rome? Yeah, a couple of you have been out that way and seen some of those things. My brother had the chance to go uh, see some of those things as well. And uh, I hope to one, to 
one day as well. But those, they're, 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 they're still ruins of these great amphitheaters they built all over the world today just for the participation of these games. And the idea behind them was not so different from our modern-day uh, sports buildings. Um, it's just all these fans seated around a, a court or a field where all of, the, uh, uh, all of the games are taking place. But the idea that's painted here is that uh, uh, we are being surrounded by a group of spectators who are watching us as we are participating in this race of the Christian life that is going on right now. And imagine with me this cloud of witnesses that is surrounding us. But there is a significant difference. You see, for physical athletics, um, when the people are surrounding uh, those who are participating in the sports, they're just surrounding them as spectators. They're just watching them play the game. Uh, They have nothing to do with it. The cloud of witnesses that is surrounding us are not mere spectators. They are victors themselves. They are people who have gone before us running their own races of faith and finishing them by faith. And now they're in heaven and they're not just witnessing to us as as if they're just watching us. They're witnessing to us. uh, What they're really doing is they're bearing witness to us. They are speaking to us still. As the Bible says about, uh, 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 about Enoch, he being dead yet speaketh. And the people who have gone before us are still speaking into our lives today uh, volumes. We think about the people who are uh, mentioned here in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11. There are people like uh, Abel and, and Enoch and, and Noah who, who built the ark. And there's Moses who demonstrates his willing faith. And there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Sarah. There's Rebecca. There's uh, all of these people that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11 and their stories still inspire us today. Their, their faith still speaks to us today. But I don't just think it's the people from the Old Testament. I think there's more, more recent individuals as well who are still, their lives of faith are still speaking to us as well. I think of the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, and John. I think of uh, a great uh, people of yesteryear like uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I think of uh, David Brainerd and, and many other missionaries that we could list. Uh, Adoniram Judson. I think of uh, D.L. Moody. And the list could go on and on of men and women who have lived their lives by faith and have gone before us to demonstrate what a life of faith looks like when it's being, what a race of faith looks like when it's being run. Oh, but that's not it. Listen to me here. That cloud of witnesses is also composed of people that you and I actually know. You say, what do you mean? It's composed of people who have run the race of faith before us and have gone on home to be with the Lord. I think of one more recent one would be Maxine Chapel. That was a woman who lived a life of faith. And I'll tell you something, what a blessing. Uh, her legacy was. I think of Miss Edith, uh, how she touched my life. I think of Miss Vesta Butler, she just graduated to heaven. And boy, the list could go on and on. I think of Donita. And boy, her, for, to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain, that's what she lived for. That's still speaking to me today and how she finished her course. And this cloud of witnesses and in the heavens, they're not just watching us, they're witnessing to us, they're testifying to us. Listen, we've lived a life of faith before you and we're cheering you on and we're demonstrating to you how you can finish your, life, your race of faith as well. Listen, as we look at these people in the Bible, and sometimes we look at people from Christian history, we almost, we almost idolize them. We almost stick him up on a pedestal. We look at Abraham and say, well, he, he was a super Christian. I mean, I could, never, I could never be an Abraham. I could never be like Abraham. And you go back in the Bible and you look at all the dumb things Abraham did and you think, wow, he's just as messed up as I am. 
I guess I can. I, if he's allowed to make all those mistakes and still, still be in the race of faith and still, still be considered to finish well, then, then maybe I got a shot as well. I tell you, that's an encouraging part of looking at these examples of people who have run the race of faith before us. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. I tell you, uh, when we look at their examples, it gives us hope for the race that we're running today. Can I tell you? It wasn't the fact, the reason that they were in the hall of faith, the reason that uh, people that we look back on from Christian history uh, still speak to us today isn't because of the greatness of their faith. Because for many of them, they had pretty weak faith. It wasn't the greatness of their faith that makes us think of them now. It was the greatness of the God in whom they put their faith. That was what was significant. And friend, you don't have to have great faith to be able to run the race of faith. You just have to put the little faith you have in the great God who can lead you forward. As we run this race, the first truth we need to consider if we're going to do it well is we need to consider the crowd above us. Now write this down secondly here. Not only do we need to consider the crowd above us, but we need to consider the change within us. Consider the crowd above you, but number two, consider the change within you. Now look at verse one, the next part of the verse. The Bible goes on to say, after it says we're compassed about with this great cloud of witnesses, it challenges us. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And so now that we've been told we're in this race of faith for the Lord, we're now challenged to prepare ourselves to run this race well. Let us lay aside some things, is what it begins to tell us. And the way we prepare ourselves to run this race of faith well is by getting rid of the hindrances. Getting rid of the things in our life that would hold us back from being able to run this race well. And uh, I don't care who you are, all of us have these types of things in our life that are hindering us from running the race of faith like we ought to be able to run it. And, uh, you know, for a runner to run effectively, we know he, he has to train to be able to do so, and he's got to abstain from certain things to be able to do so well. And uh, we, could, we could talk about uh, uh, different athletes who, uh, uh, who have, tr- who have uh, uh, withheld themselves from eating certain things and, and subjected themselves to a certain, a certain amount of hours of practice on a week-to-week basis to be able to perfect themselves for whatever sport they're playing in. And it's no different for us spiritually in this race that we're running today. Let me read to you what the Apostle Paul said about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He, he compared the Christian life again to a race, and he said, Know ye not they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate or disciplined in all things. And then he said, I therefore run not as uncertainly. I'm not just running around like a chicken with my head cut off, Okay. I have a purpose, I have, I have something that I'm running towards, I have something that I'm aiming after. He goes on to verse 27 and says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest I myself should become a castaway. And so here's the point with all of this. If you're going to run your race of faith well, you must be willing to make some choices to lay aside the things that would hinder you from being able to do so. Now, in verse number one, there's a phrase that's used twice. It's the phrase, let us. And that phrase, let us, it indicates the voluntary nature of, come, of, of entering into this race. Don't miss this. Hey, while God 
wants everyone to enter into this race. He coerces no one to be involved in it. God's not going to make you run your race. He's given you a race to run. He's given you what you need to be able to run it. But he's not going to make you run your race. And the sad fact about Christianity today is we've been given this great opportunity from the Lord Jesus. We've been given all the resources we need to be able to run the race of faith that he has set before us. And yet for so many of us, we're not doing it. And for, for, for many of us, the reason is exactly what this passage is talking about here, weights and sin that we've allowed to overrun our life. I'll read to you something that William Newell wrote about this matter. He said, Christianity is full of professing Christians who are not running this race, but are weighted down and have never even considered laying aside the cares and riches and pleasures and the lusts of other things. Dear Christian, you have been placed into this life for the express purpose of running this race of faith. And there is nothing, nothing in your life that is more important than this. There is nobody who has been placed in your life who is more important than running this race for the Lord. And so the Bible tells us that there are some things that we need to consider. And the second thing we need to consider is this change that has happened within us. Now let me elaborate on that because verse 1 tells us that we need to lay aside these weights and sin. Now how does the Bible teach us we're supposed to lay these things aside? Well, two principles here. I'll give them to you very briefly. Number one, a biblical principle here is this. If you are a believer, there is a change that has taken place inside of you already. And that change is Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new what? Creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you've been saved, your life has been transformed. And it's not because you did anything. It's because of what Jesus has done in your heart. And that's a beautiful truth. That's the truth of the gospel right there. And so if you're a believer, there's a change that's already happened inside of you. Now, as you grow as a believer, here's the second principle. As you grow as a believer, this change impacts your life from day to day from the inside out. See, we oftentimes get this backwards right here, okay? Somebody gets saved, and we tell them, you need to do this, 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 and this to be a good Christian. And it's all outward stuff. You need to go to, the, go, to, go to this church, and you need to listen to this music, and you need to wear this kind of clothes, and you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to go to this Bible study. And we tell them, if you want to be a good Christian, then follow our little 12-step process, and you'll be a good little Christian. What we have is a bunch of people who follow 12-step follow processes but aren't growing as Christians. Because Christian growth doesn't happen from the outside in, it happens from the inside out. The Bible says it's God that works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. It's God that brings about this growth. And the fact of the matter is, when it comes to laying aside the weights and the sins, we like to think when we come to a new year, um, well, I just need to look it up my life and figure out all the things that are wrong with my life and just to decide I'm going to stop doing those things. And so you make your little goal list. And then by the time you get to January 2nd, you've already failed, so you quit, okay? And uh, that's what we do every single year. And we're in this cycle that never gives us any victory. Jesus is telling us how to run the race of faith towards victory here. And it's a race of victory because, hey, the person who is giving you the victory is not you and your great self-discipline or lack thereof, but it's Jesus who's working in you to bring about the change. And boy, that's important for us to understand right there. And it's God that's doing this work in us. And so what that means is to lay aside these weights, we're going to have to allow God's spirit room to work in our hearts to show us areas that need to change. Then we can lay them aside. If it's up to me to try to figure out all that's wrong with my life, um, 
We view ourselves a lot better than what other people view us. And, uh, then, and certainly uh, than, than what we understand about ourselves, God knows what we truly need. And if we allow him to work in our hearts and reveal it, he can tr- truly show us the things that need to be set aside. Now, the first thing in verse 1 that we're told we need to set aside, to lay aside, are the weights. Uh, first, first of all, verse 1 tells us to lay aside the, the weights. Um, and uh, there's a lot of things I could say about this for sake of time. I'm going to move ahead and simply, simply put it this way. A weight is anything in your life, anything in your life that is keeping you from pursuing the purpose God has for you. That's what a weight is. Weights aren't always bad things, okay? Uh, Brother Vince, he brought me some of his weights because uh, he actually works out. I obviously don't. But um, he brought me some of his. And uh, a weight. Uh, uh, how many of you have ever driven by a gym before, maybe CrossFit down the road, and they've got those big weights and they've got uh, strings tied around them, and they're trying to pull those things. You know what I'm talking about, okay? So you say, I've done that a lot. Okay, there you go. Uh, I commend you. Um, that doesn't seem like the best form of running to me, all right? Sometimes I drive by, and I see them, and they've got all these weights in their hands, and they're running with these weights in their hands. I'm like, there's got to be a better way to do it. All right, well, what are they? they're training there. I know that. When we actually run a race, if we're going to try to run to win, we're not going to run with anything in our hands, and yet when, we come, when it comes to the race of faith, so often we fill our lives with so many weights. Weights that hold us back. Weights aren't, aren't necessarily sinful things. A weight can be a hobby that you spend much, too much time doing. Hey, a weight can be your family. You can, get, you can be so consumed with your family that you never walk with the Lord. A weight can be your church. A weight can be your ministry. A weight can be your work. A weight can be your, your, your job. A weight can be a, a whole multitude of things. Is anything in your life that is keeping you from running the race that God has given you to run. That's what a weight is. The Bible tells us what we're supposed to do with those weights is to lay them aside. But it doesn't just tell us to lay aside the weights, but the second thing it tells us to lay aside is the sin. And oh, how important this is for us to understand. You see, the Bible says there in verse number one, I better get back over to Hebrews. I closed my Bible. It says, let us lay aside the weights and the sin, which what? Doth so easily beset us. Believer, don't miss this. You make no mistake about it. This is believers who are being written to. And what the Bible says to us as believers about sin is that it still can so easily beset us. There ought never come a time in your life where you live like you're above sin. Listen, I am victorious over sin. Sin has no uh, ability to condemn me any longer. I understand all of those things, but you understand as well as I do, as long as we live in this body of flesh, there is going to be a battle with sin as we walk through this world. And what the Bible actually tells us is this is a sin that so easily besets us. What that phrase, so easily besets us, literally means here is that sin skillfully surrounds us. It's skillfully surrounding us like traps that are being set all over the course. Hey, you and I, we live in this world. We already know this to be true. <laughs> you get on your phone today, and there, 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 an, there an ad pops up. You get on your computer, and, there, uh, and there, uh, uh, there's the opportunity to, to gossip with the girls if you want to, if you want to jump on Facebook. 
all right? You, you, get, uh, you, you go to work and there's a solicitation to send there. And almost everywhere you turn, it seems like every day Satan and this wicked society are trying to come up with new traps to skillfully surround us as the people of God with the opportunities to sin. And you make no mistake about it. If you get your eyes off of Jesus Christ, you start living like you're above it, you're going to make yourself susceptible to it. The Bible says to be careful to the, to the person who thinks that he's standing lest he falls. Just when you think you've got it all together, that's when you're going to fall flat on your face in this race. You've got you to keep your focus where it needs to be. We don't live above sin. We live aware of sin. The Bible tells us to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And uh, make no mistake about it, the Bible tells us we need to lay aside these weights and these sins. Now, sometimes we might speculate in our mind what these weights actually have to deal with and what these sin issues actually have to deal with in our life. I like what one person had to say about this, and let me read to you what he had to say about this here. He said, sometimes people ask the question about things in their life, well, what's the harm in me doing this? Well, what's the harm with me having this? It's just a little pet sin. It's just a little hobby. What's the harm in having this in my life? And the question can be found just here. Is the thing a weight or is it a wing? Is it that which speeds you on your course or does it hold you back? As you look at the things in your life that are present today, I wonder if the Holy Spirit would work in your heart to reveal some weights or some sin things in your life that need to be laid aside. Because if it's not something that's speeding you along your course, the race that Jesus has set before you, then it's something that needs to be set aside. It's something that needs to be laid aside here today. And the challenge here is to lay them aside. And so we find the first truth we need to consider, we need to consider the crowd above us. The second thing you need to consider is the change within you. The third thing you need to consider, notice this, is the course around you. Consider the course around you. Look at the end of verse number one. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse one, the Bible says at the end of the verse, after we've considered this cloud of witnesses and laid aside these sins and weights, uh, the Bible says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We're, we're now at this point, after considering the cloud of witnesses and laying aside the things that would hinder us from being able to run our race, we're now simply encouraged to start running. At some point, you've got to stop preparing and you've actually got to do the deed. You've actually got to start running your race. So many Christians, they sit on their hands all throughout their whole life thinking that they're not, they're not good enough, they're not able enough, they're not gifted enough. The Bible doesn't have anything to say about those things. To every single one of us, the Bible tells us to run your race. You're not supposed to run my race. You're not supposed to run at my pace. You're not supposed to run at so-and-so's pace. God has made you and given you a race to run. He's given you a course to go through throughout your life, and only you can run it. And what the Bible tells you to do here is to Start running, buddy. Start running your race. And I love how, how the scripture puts it here because there's really uh, three challenges, three encouragements that are wrapped up into this uh, uh, encouragement to uh, uh, run this course that God has set before you. Let me give these to you. I'll just give them to you straight up and then we'll talk about them. The first encouragement that, that is given here is to push yourself. And then the Bible tells you to pace yourself. And then the Bible tells you to position yourself. Now let me show you this from the scripture. Look at, look at the end of verse number one. The Bible first says, and let us, what? Run. 
and let us run. That word run, it comes from the Greek word treko, which literally means to exert all your effort, to give it all you got. In other words, push yourself. God is not interested in his people giving a half effort here today. God, who literally gave his all on the cross for our sin, expects nothing less from us as the people of God. I like what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse number 10. It says, whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with thy might. The sad truth about Christianity today is that instead of trying to give the Lord everything we've got in this race of faith, we're trying to find every excuse we can to give him anything. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking to you about, hey, the fact is, we have, we are, our churches are filled with people. Less than 10% usually carry the weight of the responsibility of trying to uh, uh, do, perform the functions of the ministry of the church. Hey, we don't witness. We don't, we, don't, we don't study the word of God. The fact is, many of us, if we're being honest about our Christian life today, it's been a long time since we've ever pushed ourselves spiritually. One thing I've learned about working out is if I just keep doing the same thing over and over, if I don't add more weight, if I don't try to go a little bit farther, I'm never going to grow. The fact is, for many of us in our Christian life, we've never gone further than what we've always done. And for many, for many, for many more of us, instead of going further than what we've done before, we've started to fall back from where we were. The Bible says you need to start running. You need to exert all your effort. Push yourself. But not only does it say to push yourself, but the second challenge we're given here is to pace yourself. Look at the end of verse 1. The next thing the Bible encourages you to do is to run with something. What is it you're supposed to run with? Patience. That word patience in the Greek, it means endurance. To run with some endurance. To run with some patience. You see, the race we've been given to run is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Now, some of you, you're sprinters. You like to run at short distances. The long runs, uh-uh. I'd prefer the long run over the sprint, personally. But this race in the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it'll last a lifetime for you. And the fact is, if you don't pace yourself to finish the race, then you'll fizzle out. You say, how do you know that? Because many people have. Many people in trying to run the race of faith, they got so excited, they got so engaged, they tried to do too much too soon. Uh, you don't start running, and you don't start running by running a marathon. You got to build yourself up to that, and uh, uh, that's something that you've got to grow to be able to do. And it's the same way with the Christian life. And friend, you try to you try to bite off more than you can chew. It's something that's going to push you away from the Lord instead of draw you closer to Him. You've got to pace yourself. Run with patience the race that is set before you and so push yourself pace yourself but a third thing I see here is that you need to position yourself verse number one the end of the verse again it encourages us to run the race that is set before you you see that in the scripture this race is set before you that that phrase set before in, in the Greek it literally means appointed or chosen for you when you were born into this world God had already appointed his purpose for your life. The Lord told the prophet Jeremiah, before uh, you were born, I knew you. 
and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. He already had a preordained purpose for Jeremiah's life, and he has the same purpose for your life as well. God's already charted a course, a course through your life that is perfect for you. God made you just the way you are, and he made you for a specific purpose. And friend, who better to chart the course for your life than the one who made you and knows more about you than you know about yourself? God knows what's best for your life. We struggle with that sometimes, trusting God, going the way that God wants us to go, but there's no one that we can trust more than the Lord. The Bible says we need to position ourselves on the course that he has set for us. I know what it's like. In the busyness of life, it's so easy to get drawn into running a course that someone else sets for us or that we set for ourselves. It's easy to get sucked into running the race that your boss tells you you need to run. It's easy to get sucked into running the race that your kids demand you to run, okay? That your, that your spouse uh, wants you to run, to just go along with whatever they tell you they want you to do. Hey, it's easy to set a course for yourself. This is just what I want to do. But would to God we'd have some Christians who would decide to run the race that God has set for them and go the direction that God is desiring them to go. See, if you're going to run this race well, you need to consider the crowd above you. You need to consider the change within you. You need to consider the course around you. And the final thing I want you to notice, and we'll be done this morning, is you need to consider the Christ before you. You need to consider the Christ before you. Look at verse 2. Let's read the first phrase out loud together again. Are you ready? Begin. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Hey, the single greatest motivator you and I have to run this Christian race of faith is Jesus Christ. What the Bible tells us we're supposed to do is to look to him. I love that word, look. Uh, in the Greek, it literally means to turn your eyes away from other things and fix them on Jesus. And, uh, you know, if you're running a race and you're looking all over the place and you're stopping to look around corners and you're not going to run that race very effectively, you're not going to run that base r- race very well, but if you fix your eyes on the end target, if you fix your eyes on the place that you're supposed to be running towards, you'll be able to run an effective race. And that's the idea that's communicated for us here. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus. What's so good about Jesus to make him the object of our life? I think many of us could answer that well, but let's look what the scripture has to say for why we're supposed to look to Jesus. Look at it again in verse 1. It says, first of all, to look to Jesus, who is the what? The author. The author of our faith. Here's one reason given that we're supposed to look to Jesus, because Jesus is our example. He's our example. The Bible calls him the author here of our faith. That word author, it means pace setter. It means the captain. It means he's the one that went before and gave us an example of how we're supposed to run our race. And he's the one that has showed us the way we're supposed to run our race. That's Jesus. I envision Jesus Christ as being the one who's ahead of the pack, who's leading the charge forward. That's Jesus. The one who came down in the flesh. Jesus He's the one who was born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem's manger as a man and lived 33 and a half years a sinless life. He walked through valleys just like what you and I go through. He went on mountaintops just like you and I are going to experience, friend. There's not a thing in your life Jesus hasn't experienced the like of when he walked in this, wor- walked in this earth. There's not a thing you're going to go through. Not a trial, a difficulty, a moment of rejection, a moment of depression that Jesus doesn't know 
what it's like because he experienced it all when he came down on this earth and the Bible tells us that he did that in the next part of the verse it says in verse number two that Jesus for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame Jesus came as a man and he showed us what it was like what it was supposed to look like for a man like you and I to be able to run the race of faith victoriously I'm thankful for the example of Jesus that has gone before me I like what 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse 21 tells us. It tells us that Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And boy, Jesus has gone before as the author of our faith. He is the pace setter. He's been our example. There's two things about that I'll just mention quickly. He's the example of how we are to enter into, into, into faith. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We, we get into this race by believing in Jesus, but he's also our example as believers for how we're supposed to run the race of faith. There's no greater example than Jesus. There's no one that understands more what we're going through in the middle of our race than Jesus. He is our example. That's why we look to him. But a second reason we look to Jesus is because Jesus is our enabler. Now, what does the Bible go on to say in verse 2? It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and what? Finisher of our faith. That word finisher actually has nothing to do with a racer finishing a race. Okay? That word finisher is a Hebrew word that we've hit several times as we've studied through the book of Hebrews. And uh, or it's a Greek word that we've hit several times. And, and what it literally means is that Jesus is the one who will carry you to perfection. He's the perfecter. In other words, Jesus is the one who will carry you to the finish line. And I tell you, there's great reason we have for believing that fact right there. Because the rest of the, at the end of the verse, the Bible tells us that Jesus endured the cross and is now set down where? The right hand of the throne of God. Don't miss this. This is probably one of my favorite things I, uh, the Lord spoke to me about as I studied this passage of Scripture. Jesus is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does that mean for you and I as we run our race? We're there at the right hand of the Father. The Bible teaches us how he got there. He got there by dying on a cross to pay for our sins, being buried, rising again, ascending to, hev to heaven. And the Bible tells us now that he's forever seated at the right hand of the, of the Father. The right hand in the scripture speaks to us of the seat of position and authority. That's the place that Jesus is in. He said, all authority is given unto me. All power is given to me in heaven and earth. And Jesus sits in this all-powerful position in the heavenlies today. And you know what he's doing in that all-powerful position? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 it says that Jesus is ever living to make intercession for you and I as we run our race. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 34 that Jesus died and rose again and is even now set at the right hand of God and is making intercession for us. Do you know what Jesus is doing seated on that eternal throne, that all powerful throne in heaven? He is praying for you and I as we run our race. And when you are struggling, Jesus is pleading to the Father, Father, will you give him strength? Will you give him your grace to be able to make it through this part of the race? When you are needing some strength, Jesus says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he pleads to the Father to give you some strength that you need to be able to go on. I'm so glad that there's an almighty God in heaven, Jesus Christ, my Savior, who's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And as I'm running my race, when I'm struggling, he's there to support me and to pray for me and to give me what I need. And when I'm doing well, he runs beside 
beside me and he's given me the support and the joy that I need. I'm so thankful for Jesus today. That's why we look to Jesus. He's our example and he's our enabler as we run this race of faith. There's no one else we should look to. He's better. I'm going to tell you something. He's given us a race to run as we go through this world. As we've gone through this year, it's been very easy to get our eyes off of him. By way of example, I think that one thing a lot of Christians have struggled with more than anything else to distract them this year has been politics. I hear about it on social media, almost every conversation. Somebody wants to bring up politics. Am I against politics? Well, I might as well be. Everybody else seems to be. I'll tell you something. You're not going to find any hope in that. You're not going to find any hope in, in the things of this world. And it's so easy to get our eyes off of what we should be focused on. See, the Lord didn't stick us in this world to get so-and-so, whoever so-and-so is elected in the office. As believers, God put us in the world to preach the gospel to every creature. What the world needs is Jesus. And we've been given a race to run. Set with our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ to tell every person we meet about him. I'll tell you something. As you get ready to enter into this new year, as you, be, as you get ready to run this race of faith a little bit further down the road, it will be a great thing for you to do to make the decision to get your eyes off of the things that you have been pursuing that have been keeping you from running the race of faith and get them back on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that may mean you need to lay aside some weights, some things that are keeping you from running the race well, maybe even some sin. That may mean that you need to determine, I'm going to start pushing myself again. I've been lackadaisical, laissez-faire. I've been apathetic. I've been lukewarm in my Christian life for too long, and it's time for me to get back in the race. It's time for me to trust the Lord, get my eyes back on Jesus Christ, and start pursuing the purpose that he has for my life. That may be, that may be the decision you need to make as you come into this new year. I'll tell you, it all comes down to one fundamental thing. If you're going to run the race of faith well, the only way you're going to run it well is by trusting in Jesus. You know, it's a race of faith. It's not a race of you depending on yourself. It's a race of you depending on Jesus and running to Jesus and letting Jesus call the shots. That's what, it's, that's what this race is all about. And if you've gotten your eyes off of where it needs to be, today would be a great time as we prepare to enter into this new year to get them back where they need to be and to get back on course in the race of faith. When you're ready to bow your head and close your eyes with me.